I'm Liz with TeachStone, and this is Teaching with Class. Today, I'll be talking to Casey Sickak about class and Montessori. She'll share a bit about the Montessori approach and what you may notice as a class observer in a Montessori classroom. Casey, thank you so much for joining us, um, we fairly often get questions from the class community members about Montessori and about how being in a class observer or a teacher being observed through the class lens may look in a Montessori classroom. And recently someone in the community asked this and you offered such a wonderful, detailed, thought out response that it was so helpful that I had to reach out to you and hear more. So I'm wondering if you can start by just telling us a bit about your background um, and your experience with, with both Montessori and class. Sure, I was, um, I was a teacher for 20 years in a Montessori school, Montessori classroom with mixed ages from two and a half all the way through kindergarten in the same classroom because that's part of that philosophy that older children mentor younger children and younger children learn from just being in in close proximity to children doing, you know, more advanced things, if you will. So um, I retired and I moved into nonprofit. I work for the Early Learning Coalition of Brevard and I've done that for about six years. Um, I work in quality assurance. I'm a professional development um, and support person. So my primary job is in training and coaching one on one with teachers so that they can further their own professional development. I am a certified class observer for infant, toddler, and pre-K, as well as a certified infant trainer, uh, an infant observer trainer. I also train um, um, infant, toddler, MMCI, and pre-K MMCI. Wow, um, so that doesn't sound like retirement at all. No, no, actually, <laughs> it really doesn't. But uh, I have to say that, you know, as I as I gained my certifications and took the trainings and stuff, you know, you have to you have to be very introspective about, you know, like, well, you know, if, if I were in the classroom, how would this apply to me or how this might that I can relate to the people that I'm working with or training with. And I can remember thinking, my goodness, my first few years as a teacher, I've been like a bull in a china shop, you know. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you know, like, <laughs> like how many people did I offend? <laughs> you never sure, you know, but everyone think, who can be honest about their first two years of teaching has that. Absolutely, you know, and then of course you you get some experience behind you, you get a little bit of wisdom, you you truly embrace, if you will, the the philosophy of working with children and letting them guide you. And I think all of a sudden you're your awareness and your practice just flourish and because you see the children flourish because you, you you're actually following them which is one of the reasons why when this question came up is anything that has to do with Montessori I always like oh look at that. you know there's a Montessori question you know that's that's new that's interesting let's see what that's about and I am so I'm a certified Montessori teacher through um, American Montessori Society and um, I did my training at OMTEI, Orlando Montessori Teacher Education Institute in Celebration, Florida. So I thought, okay, let's let's just see. But I mean, after after being an observer for three to four years now, I can definitely see how 
um, all these wonderful interactions that you know that we're that we're looking at through the class lens absolutely can match up with the things that are going on in the Montessori classroom. Well, we are so glad that you were willing to help, and selfishly, I'm excited to, just to learn more because my own three-year-old son just started at a Montessori preschool, and um, to be honest, there's still a lot of the sort of main principles I don't know. Uh, he's <laughs> really happy, and he seems like he's thriving, but I, I have a lot I could learn, so I'm, I'm also excited to, to hear what you have to say. So I guess for those who have less experience with the Montessori approach, can you take just a minute and, and kind of describe how it might look or sound or feel different than a traditional preschool or childcare center that someone else might be used to? Sure, it's, it can be identified as a curriculum, but it's really more of a teaching philosophy or an approach for working with children. It's a uh, philosophy that's been grounded in science, um, just like the class tools, fully researched and scientifically proven, and they can be measured and quantified. The, the creator, Dr. Maria Montessori, was a scientist, and she created an entire system of working with children just by looking um, and seeing what children do naturally. So you have this, again, this system is developmentally appropriate, you know, for children to be able to learn at their maximum capacity. It has several learning areas, so it would look like centers. There's just lots of different centers. They all have different names. I mean, there'll still be a math center and a language center, but they have centers like practical life and sensorial and geography and, and things that may not look like things that, you know, in other classrooms. But they'll have shelves and tons of activities, just like other preschool classrooms do. Child-sized furniture, just like other classrooms do. You probably won't see a dramatic play area in a Montessori classroom. They have a practical life area, which definitely, um, it trains the eye and the hand or reading and writing, but it's moving rice from one bowl to another or pouring water um, from one container to another or like polishing apples or brass or silver, or just different things like that. So. One of my colleagues here, her daughter went through a Montessori program and she just shared with me that her favorite thing was that her homework, she had to come home one day and fold towels. <laughs> yes, yes, that sounds like it's a very practice. purposeful. Yeah. It's very purposeful, very natural type of activities that children, you know, gravitate to. And, uh, you know, they think nothing of scrubbing a chair because they spilt a little water on it. So they'll get out all the materials to scrub down this chair and they're just thrilled to do it. Whereas we think of that as work, but that's what a child's work is. They're really just constructing themselves. So they get all these opportunities to do that. When we think in class terms, you know, you go in and you're looking as an observer it, it might look a little it might look a little strange because they they don't have a typical amount of center time. I mean, there's a lot of schools that are preschool programs that um, their schedule is very blocked out either by like an hour increments or thirty minute increments or they get fifteen minutes transition from one you know one activity to another. Um, it's not like that in a Montessori classroom. Typically, their work time or their play time would be um, two to two and a half hours long. So there's all these opportunities for choices and decisions and problem solving that are built in naturally into that environment. They're, they're constantly busy. They're, they're constantly interacting with one another and the materials that are on the shelves. So when you think, again, when you think in class terms, they should have a pretty high productivity score because they're always 
they're always engaged with something. And they're not all engaged with the same thing. I mean, you've got, you could have 20, 25 kids in a classroom and they're all doing something different. And what is the teacher's role during that time, during that, that two hour, two and a half hour work cycle? She's, um, she's the guide or he's the guide. Their job is to kind of stand back and allow that independence, um, allow those children to build that coordination, that control, that sense of self. And, and, and just allow their process to happen. I think that's one of the things that I think is so phenomenal because class focuses on the process, on the how, okay? and the Montessori system that focuses on the child's process. You know, a trained Montessori teacher is not going to, um, they're not going to interfere or encroach on what the child's plan is. Mm. Um, they just have the opportunity to execute whatever it is and, and kind of follow whatever internal, whatever is internally driving them. If they want to sit and they want to um, use a spoon and move rice from one bowl to another and it takes them 20 minutes to do that, they should be free to do that. So, you know, monastery will kind of step back and allow that whole process to happen. A trained teacher, after a child's finished with that, they might, they might approach and they might, you know, what else would you like to do? Um, do you want to continue on? Would you like to do something a little bit more challenging? Um, oh, I see you're going over to the math area. You know, what do you think that you want to do over there? Very aware of what's going on in the room. But again, just really following that child. It sounds like a lot of um, teacher sensitivity and regard in that the focus is on the child, yeah. not a lesson plan. Correct. If each student is sort of working independently during that time, where do you see um, maybe language modeling or promoting language if there's not conversations between students or conversations between the student and the teacher at that point? The students are talking to one another and they're talking to the teachers too. And the teachers are, they'll, they'll have conversations, you know, in passing and different things like that. But once a child, you know, has their work on their rug or their, their workspace, the teacher won't intervene unless the child needs them. Know, for something and 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 they're they're looking like you know you'll have a child that might look hesitant they might look up and catch the teacher's eye and you know she or do you need some help she'll sit down with that child or he will and you know they might go into the lesson and there might be some questioning but as soon as she feels like that that child is ready to be independent they back right off mm -hmm. to allow them that allow them that free exploration that that ability to really just satisfy whatever need of interacting with that work that they can. Um, all, the, all the materials are, they're self-correcting and the concept is built into that. So there, there are open-ended questions. I mean, I, I've sat down and I might give a lesson to several children. I'm gonna, you know, or I might see that we have several children that have um, a need to maybe do some rhyming work. So I might sit down and I'll get out my rug and then I'll invite children. Would you like to see, be a part of this lesson? And, and we'll interact with it, you know, say, you know, did you, what, where do you think this might go? Or where do you think, you know, do you hear the sounds match up or, um, you know, cat, bat, and give them that opportunity to, to help problem solve where it might go. And then I'll put it away. And then the children will typically go back and want to engage with it on a one-on-one -on -one basis and repeat that. And there's, like I said, there's just so many different options for them to, to work with and explore, but you know, the teacher 
the teacher through observation typically can determine what needs to be done and then she has her own plan or he has his own plan mm -hmm. to maybe small group together or work individually one-on-one -on -one with children based on what they've demonstrated that they need from day to day. It seems like certainly the focus, the, the, the big focus is on understanding that sort of rote instruction, um, which sounds like promoting higher level thinking skills. Um, can you talk more about sort of those student-teacher interactions that, that might promote higher order thinking skills? Sure. So let's say we have a child working in sensorial and they are working with, uh, it's a piece called the Pink Tower, and mm -hmm. it is a graduated set of cubes. There's 10 cubes that go together from one centimeter squared up to 10 centimeters squared. And let's say that they're making patterns with it and the teacher notices that they might, as they're walking by, you know, oh, I see that you've made a pattern in your pattern. They might describe the pattern to the child. How else might you show this pattern or what else could we add to this? Like maybe the, um, the brown stair or the broad stair, depending on what, what you call, you know, what, they, what your teacher calls it in the classroom. You know, how might you incorporate those in with your pink tower? What other designs could you make? So there's, there's a great deal of vocabulary. I mean, you're looking at, you know, typical language that you would find in any classroom. You know, it's larger, there's comparative words, you know, it's larger, smaller, um, it's taller, it's longer, it's shorter, um, all that kind of thing, or the sounds even, you know, softer or louder, or how might this feel to you? And you, you know, they're matching textures or describing it. And so they'll facilitate those kinds of discussions with the children. But again, typically after the child seems to have stopped exploring it, if you will, so that they can, they don't interrupt that process. I thought that was neat in your description how it's sort of the materials are supposed to promote the, the deep thinking on their own. And then the teacher's role is more just facilitating. Correct. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, of course, adding that layer of language because we, we know that children process and understand language long before they actually can verbalize what their experiences are. I mean, they're just constantly taking in all this information. So they might be able to point to things to demonstrate understanding. And then that verbalization will be that last piece. So if we have a child that's not quite sure of what language to use, you would have a teacher modeling that language. You know, mm -hmm. well, this one is the largest one. Um, can you find one that might be smaller than this one? And then now, you know, and then encouraging that child to perhaps use that language, you know, in the same context, you know, appropriately. Can you describe like this one compared to this one? You know, which we're, you know, how, how might you tell me what they look like or how might they sound to you? And then it giving them that opportunity, encouraging them to use that higher language or stronger vocabulary, if you will. There's a lot of what we call nomenclature, just basically naming or labeling things in the environment, using the most appropriate word for it. I mean, so yes, you have pigs, but we also have female pigs and male pigs and baby pigs, and then we would model that language for them. And then because you, you're so consistent with it in the classroom and the children are constantly hearing they, they start describing it in the same way. You know, oh, it's a piglet versus a sow for a mom, you know, and then they would pair those things up and you have miniature environments like miniature, you know, farms and 
So what might actually look like dramatic play, if you were to create a farm center or a zoo center or something like that, you might actually have something like that in the classroom mm -hmm. where they're describing it and, and, and using the appropriate language that would go with each animal and just kind of demonstrating that whole understanding that they've got it. And if they don't, you know, we can layer that language in as well. My son came home one day and uh, he had a, we have like a stuffed turtle and he was like asking me about the turtle and I was like, you know, his head and his feet and his shell, that's the parts of the turtle. And he was like, oh no, mommy. <laughs> he was like embarrassed about my lack of knowledge around naming the because he and I still don't know them I'll, I would have to google them right now but he like he the official names of like the, the turtle belly and the turtles arms and legs have different names and yes 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 it, it's yeah it's very interesting and I mean in there like in the science area I mean there there's constant classification going on and you know I hear the I because as an observer you go in and you hear all these different things and I'm like you know it's very um a lot of the things that I see in preschools are very similar to what's going on in a classroom, you know, because teachers are talking about different parts of a flower, different parts of a plant, or uh, how, you know, categorizing animals, you know, that these are land animals, and these are water animals, or sea animals, and these are animals that live in the forest. I mean, those are the same kinds of discussions that are going on, and then, you know, or the, again, the classification, the categorization, um, having children figure it out, like why would these animals all be grouped together? Well, they all have feathers and they're all, mm. they all have two, or they, you know, this is where they do their work or this is where they do their hunting or, and then they just get this amazing exposure to all this language rich environment. And that's where that teacher piece comes in because the teacher becomes the guide. Mm. They're just another resource in the classroom that the children can go to and use to find out more or to take them to that next level. You had mentioned the mixed age grouping that's commonly found in Montessori schools. Can you talk a little bit about the, the reasoning behind it or, and how you maybe see that impacting the way a class observer does their job if you were observing a Montessori classroom? Sure, so like we know that when we look at the class age groups, um, we typically might be using the toddler tool if the majority of the children in a classroom are 18 months and younger, right? Because we know that development is fluid. So, and, and, the, and the infant tool would be the most appropriate because it captures the appropriate interactions that would be happening in that age group, right? Same thing for the toddler tool, same thing for the pre-K tool. So when, when we have that um, mixed age group, I mean, Dr. Montessori believed that, again, when you have community, it's not just going to be a community of just like one age group. I mean, communities work because we have older people with more experience that might be, you know, have more wisdom about things that are able to lend their advice or their um, role modeling, if you will, to perhaps younger or less experienced people. So that same dynamic is going to show up in a Montessori classroom. I'll be honest, in 20 years of teaching, I, I mean, you might have a two-year-old that bit in a classroom, but it was like a very, it was a very short thing because you're not typically going to have a four-year-old and a five-year-old that's going to bite back mm -hmm. and curse that behavior. Um, it can be disconcerting, I think, for some teachers to go in or even observers to go in and see that many different 
age levels represented in a classroom and navigating that. But it's, um, it's really, an, again, it's really like an interesting thing to see. It's like they, everybody gets the opportunity to just be who they are naturally and extend that energy in an appropriate way. So if you were observing a, a group of mixed, let's say three-year-olds to six-year-olds, would you use the pre-K tool? Yes, absolutely. The majority of the children in that room are going to be pre-K. Even if you have kindergarten age mixed in, because a Montessori classroom from three to six could actually have kindergarten children in the room. Um, and, and working successfully in that room, just at a higher level than perhaps the three-year-old is. But um, definitely that ratio is probably gonna be you know, higher with the pre-K tool than it would be appropriate to maybe use the K-3 tool. Right, right. So a community member had recently shared that she thought you would see, as an observer, you'd see lower scores in instructional learning formats in a Montessori classroom. Um, she felt like, since the role of the teacher is often to, to observe more, that you might not see as much effective facilitation or clarity of learning objectives. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how you see or where you'd see instructional learning formats in a, in a Montessori approach. Sure. You're going to see all modalities. You're definitely a lot of hands-on experiences. I mean, there's hundreds of activities that children can choose from. Um, so they're constantly going to be engaged in something. So when you think about that engagement, are the children that's a part of that, you know, are they engaged, are they engaged, how does the teacher keep them engaged? A lot of that just happens naturally because children want to be busy, they want to be, you know, again, that productivity, they're moving around there, but when they, they settle and they're focused, you can definitely see that happening, and whether it's, whether the teacher, whether the teacher did that or she set up the environment to do that or he set up the environment to do that, that engagement piece is actually there. Now, I definitely, we agree that a clarity of learning objectives are not always going to be very apparent. Evaluating my own interactions, I'm not, you know, I might, there might be opportunities for me to say, you know, hey, I have a really great lesson I want to show you. But that may happen with, again, certain types of children that I thought, you know, I saw what you were working on yesterday. You might need to revisit this. And so, you know, I'll make it like it's the most exciting thing that I can get them involved and engaged to make sure that they were exploring the concept of the activity, you know, perhaps appropriately or getting the most out of their learning. But it's not something that I might, that I'm gonna do, you know, with all 20 different, you know, children mm -hmm. um, all day long or in a 20 minute, observe, you know, a 20 minute cycle, if you will, but probably will be evidence at some point, but again, it's not gonna be overt, not by a long shot. So I have to agree somewhat with that statement that about the clarity of learning objectives. Mm. And, and on that note too, some of the uh, some of the activities when a teacher sits down with a child, they're actually silent lessons. And the philosophy behind that is so if I'm demonstrating a work or how how a work might need to be utilized, okay, so I'm I'm demonstrating twisting and turning. I'm gonna put nuts onto bolts. The minute I open my mouth and say something, the child stops watching the lesson and they watch your face. I mean, that's, that's just developmentally, you know, right where they are. They, they look. We all look to people when they start talking. Our heads turn. We, we gravitate towards sound. So if we want them to focus on what the hands are doing so that they can remember 
and really absorb what skill the lesson is being, you know, the lesson is demonstrating, you don't say anything until afterward. So there, that, you know, sometimes it does look like that there's a lack of, you know, perhaps maybe language modeling throughout certain times of the day or um, that clarity of learning objective. I definitely can see that. It's interesting. And, and you had said in your post that you felt like maybe the biggest challenge for a Montessori room regarding class is that it could look like the teachers aren't involved with the children. And I'd love to hear you sort of describe that more since the, you know, the main thing we're looking for with the class tool is teacher-student interactions or, or classroom interactions. Um, everything you've said up to now sounds like there's a lot of really purposeful, intentional things planned for the students, ways to keep them interested and engaged in what they're interested in. And it sounds like there's a lot of sort of intention in facilitating the student's interest in their own learning. But I'm curious about specifically the, the interaction, mm -hmm. where you see or why you think it might look like the teacher's not involved when it sounds like they are. When, when you have a classroom, when you have, again, you're looking at a two, two hour, two and a half hour work cycle, you know, um, there's going to be, there's just going to be many times when you have children, they're all engaged in something. They're either engaged with each other, they're, they're working, they're choosing activities, they're moving around all around the room. The teacher's going to be moving around as well. She's really going to be, she's really, she makes herself available in, in the event of an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So aren't any opportunities arising for her to, to perhaps go in and guide or offer a lesson or, or something like that? You, you, know, you have you've got 20 kids that are all doing something and talking with each other and the teacher will take that opportunity to scan the room, be aware of what's going on, absorb what the children are doing. But again, it's like, it's like if, if in a moment that could change, but if you, how do you know how to go in if you really aren't paying attention? And sometimes that just requires that teacher to, to kind of just take a moment to absorb what's, what's really happening in the room because the children are having their own interactions. Mm -hmm. Again, a teacher, you know, she'll stand on the periphery, she'll stand on the perimeter, and she'll take a moment and she will observe and doesn't, you know, obviously at that point she's not really interacting because you don't see um, an initiation or a response from a child, mm -hmm. but I always feel like that they're standing at the ready. Yeah, it almost reminds me of um, more of a, of a teacher caregiver at the infant toddler level of the, a big a big part of their role is reading the infant's cues because the yes. infant's not talking and asking for what they want to explore, what they want to do. They're looking for the more subtle cues. And, and it, that's almost what it sounds like you're saying is the, the Montessori teacher's role is reading those cues of when the, the student needs to be right or helped a little or, or yeah. Well, you definitely said it better than I did because that is, is exactly what it would be. It would be reading the cues, waiting to see like, okay, so is, is it time for me to, do, you know, do they need me to go in? Do I need to give them that space? You know, they're, again, they're very respectful of that child's learning cycle and they would, 
a trained Montessori teacher really, really refrains from interrupting that, you know, their work unless it's absolutely necessary. I, I think um, that's a good, a good lesson for anyone working with young children. I'm, I'm constantly having to remind myself to just be patient and, you know, let them work at their own schedule, their own pace. It's hard as the adult to not rush in and be like, let me just, oh, yeah. That's what I mean. Like my first few years, I, you know, I, I mean, I always vision teaching was it's my duty to impart all of this knowledge and all of this wisdom to them so that they can learn, so they can learn. But in reality, it really, it really became so aware and, and, and so much um, more of a beautiful process to provide the experiences and see what they pull from it. And then it's those, then it's those open-ended questions or, you know, those comments that, you know, that kind of just tweak it in just a way that then they, they continue with it or they, they have their aha moments. And, and that's really that teaching. It's their aha moments. It's not mine. They can't learn from moments. They have to learn from their own. And uh, so again, I, I, I sometimes, and that is my personal opinion. I mean, like when I look at my work in a Montessori classroom, I often took myself out of the equation during their exploration or their experience because it was theirs, and uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily step in until they were finished, and then I could maybe ask some clarifying questions or open-ended questions. To talk about their experience so maybe I knew how to direct my effort the next time that they were going to you know explore or experience something well thank you so much this has been really helpful and as, as often as this question comes up I'm sure there will be a lot of people who appreciate the the ideas and the clarity and and hearing how they they overlap so I, I thank you no I, I had a really good time thanks for asking me Thank you for joining us for Teaching with Glass. If you've taught in a Montessori classroom or have worked as an observer or coach in one, we'd love to hear about your experience. Log into the class learning community to continue the conversation. Then tell us how we're doing and what topics you'd like covered next.